You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and today we're talking with Dr. Alan Mintz, Chief Executive Officer of Senegenics Medical Institute. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Mintz. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Pickard. Today we're going to be discussing uh, the unique approach that Dr. Mintz has at his institute as far as health prevention. Uh, Dr. Mintz, could you briefly tell us what is the vision of your institute? The vision of our institute is to be able to live a full, high-quality, very active life, hopefully into the 90s. Our focus is pro, real proactive preventive medicine, uh, as opposed to the current medical system, which is really based on something bad happening and trying to fix it. We have enough medical knowledge in this century to be able to move way upstream, look at the traditional markers of medicine, and intervene with people long before something negative occurs from a clinical basis. In short, we don't really have to cure anything, but if we can delay the onset of those things that ultimately kill us, heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer's, if we can delay the onset to the 90s and have a short course and a quick demise, that's what our real goal is. It's not about living forever. It's not about it being eternally young or forever beautiful, but leading a very high-quality life. When somebody signs up for your program, what are the steps that they go through briefly? Well, it starts with a very comprehensive evaluation, a seven- to eight-hour experience. We have a, a staff of 60 here at the Institute in Nevada. We also have institutes in Charleston and Boca Raton. Uh, we have a medical staff of six clinical physicians. I was a radiologist. I don't see patients. Our staff are all board-certified internal medicine or family practice. We see only four patients a day. It's a seven- to eight-hour experience. Each doctor sees only one. Uh, we also allow a day for research. That's why we see only four a day. The process actually starts long before the patient gets here. We do a very comprehensive blood draw, not just the traditional CBC, urine, uh, liver profile, but we look at the endocrine system, the metabolism, and we look for the absence of or the deficiencies in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So it's probably an evaluation patients never had before. That's done before they come. Their history is obtained before they come. And that is not only medical, but nutritional, food log, exercise history, short psychological profile. All of this information is reviewed by our entire medical staff. Even though the patient's going to be seeing one doctor, the entire medical staff, it's actually a committee of about 10 people, our nutritionists, our exercise physiologists, the six physicians, I sit in on this, and our chief operating officer as well, to give the patient the expertise of the entire clinical staff in terms of their evaluation, how we can help them. What's the cost involved, both for this initial evaluation and I assume you have an ongoing relationship? What does that run? Uh, the evaluation is $2,495. The lab profile alone and we use the research division at Quest Labs, retails for about $2,200. We buy it for less. We can never guarantee medical results, Dr. Prickard, as you know, but we can guarantee their evaluation experience. So if someone comes out and we're not, if they're disappointed, we're not what they expected, whatever it might be, we return the entire amount. It's never happened in 10 years. Ongoing costs, if you don't need growth hormone, you're probably going to spend seven dollars to $8,000 a year. And that would be inclusive of medical fees, follow-up lab costs, which are done four times a year, and product with both the nutritional and, of course, any pharmaceuticals that might be needed. If somebody needs growth hormone, you need to add another four or $500 a month to that cost. Uh, again, it's for a minority of patients. The good news is that the FDA just approved a growth hormone product by Sandoz, which is supposed to be considerably cheaper. 
We don't know that yet, and it's not available yet, but that's what we're hearing. I'd like to follow up just on one statement. You said delay the onset of disease. What about your program would delay disease that a routine cardiologist or internist might also be suggesting at the same time? Routine cardiologist or internist is not at all focused on nutrition and never focuses on endocrine balance. Recently published, by the way, articles in Circulation, Annals of Internal Medicine, and in JAMA are articles showing that low testosterone increases the risk of mortality. It was published in a study on veterans on Annals of Internal Medicine. So testosterone just diminishes, as it does in everybody, 2 to 3% a year starting at age 30, and we don't supplement it. We increase the risk for early mortality. Another article published in Circulation shows that low testosterone levels, low normal testosterone levels, Dr. Pickard, increases the risk of coronary artery disease. There is abundant literature, and I, you know, I don't want to just recite articles, but can certainly provide them to anyone who's interested, that show that as our hormones deplete, we're at much higher risk for disease, diabetes, inflammatory processes, blood pressure gets higher. Uh, certainly we can reduce the risk of heart attack by using a growth hormone by raising IGF-1, which is actually an independent risk factor. Most cardiologists you'll talk to are not even aware that IGF-1 is an independent risk factor uh, for uh, heart attack for cardiac disease, and yet it was published in their journal circulation. Do you also use DHEA? Yes. We probably use every hormone known to man in its proper context. If we, if we think more, not magic bullet, but symphony orchestra playing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, 100 instruments in the choir, the real key to not only short-term benefit but long-term success is the balance you achieve when you're trying to play a beautiful symphony. We need to pay attention to everything the small items, the large items, and strive for endocrine balance. And that would include all the hormones we can possibly imagine, all those that we can measure, and look for balance at the upper end of the normal range, nothing beyond that. When you get beyond normal range, you get into abuse and all kinds of other things that certainly are harmful. We know that DHEA begins to fall at age 30. It actually probably is at one-half our previous range at age 60. If this is a normal drop that takes place, how can we pick those people that need DHEA that apparently you're focusing on? Well, we have to discuss normal in its context as opposed to healthy or optimal. Normal doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. It just means that's what's happening. hundred years ago, we lived to be 45. There are three genetic programs, growth, development, and reproduction. And for all animals and plants, for that matter, the goal is reproduce the species and get out of the way. Now, this last century, we've been quite successful in, in raising life expectancy, and we've done that by interfering with nature. There are a lot of things that happen in nature that are normal, but not necessarily healthy. So I'd like to put this concept of normal aside and deal with what is best for the patient. It is normal to have falling hormones 2 to 3% a year starting at age 30. It is not optimal. And our goal is best possible practices for better health. First of all, stimulating, not replacing. We never want to replace anything. The idea of replacing what the body makes is a bad idea. The idea of stimulating the body to make more and then supplementing to optimal levels is a good idea, and that's what we do. Since you were referring to journals in October, the New England Journal says the search for eternal youth will continue, but the reversal of age-related decreases in the secretion of DHEA and testosterone through, quote, physiologic, unquote, replacement regimes offered no answers and should not be attempted. How would you respond to that? Well, that's one article alone where many are saying exactly the opposite. 
the Annals of Internal Medicine published an article earlier this year showing that the co-administration, early last year, growth hormone and testosterone had very positive benefits uh, for men. I mean, that's one article. They happen to be wrong. Medicine is hanging on to 20th century ideas that we can do nothing to affect our quality of life. We are not focused on longevity. We are focused on improving the quality of life. That can be done by paying attention to systems which are failing and need to be helped. Our immune system fails as we get older, largely because our endocrine system is not supporting it. And how would you respond, as I've suggested, that the falling DHEA is a normal variant? It is normal, but it's not optimal. I'm responding to you by saying that because something is normal doesn't mean it's okay. What about, I know in the literature there have been really no negative results about long-term use of DHEA. Do you have any concern that your patients having DHE for a long period of time may indeed develop some type of problem? You know, I tend to look at the facts. We've been operating as an institute for 10 years. We have 12,000 patients. We have 90% retention. We have blood work on them quarterly. So we really know what's going on with our patients. We are seeing no negative effects, only positive benefit. In traditional markers, improved bone density, lowered blood pressure, lower hemoglobin A1C, lowering, lowered fasting insulin, better cholesterol levels. You know, Max Planck, the physicist, said, don't try to convince detractors, just let them die off. We're going to see in the next 10, 15 years that this will become the standard of practice. You know, I don't really worry about the tractors who say there's nothing you can do. That's where progress stops. All I can think of right now is the recent Women's Health Initiative, which certainly said that the replacement of estrogens postmenopausally was a good idea. And I think we all can step back and say that, in retrospect, it was not. Well, you're wrong, Maury, because if you read the Wall Street Journal, most of the findings in that study have been retracted. Well, I'll have to read the Wall Street you, Journal. You need to, you it's need not to one read, of the journals I keep up you with. You need to read the current notifications from that study. Almost all the findings have been retracted. First of all, it was a terribly designed study, starting with women in their 60s who have been off hormones for years and already predisposed to cancer and heart disease much higher rates. Secondly, they used Premarin, pregnant mare's urine an artificial compound developed by a manufacturer that could patent it, certainly not bioidentical. We have known for many years that oral estrogens, first of all, increase inflammatory response, CRP, 85%. It also decreases endogenous growth hormone by 15%. So smart people who read the literature have not been using oral estrogen for 15 years. We've been using it transdermally where it does not increase inflammation and it does not lower growth hormone, endogenous growth hormone production. So don't take a flawed study on an artificial product and extrapolate the negative findings to estrogen. That study was not about estrogen. That study was about an artificial horse-based product. If I can just return to growth hormone, how do you distinguish in your patient population those that get growth hormone and those that don't? Well, adult growth hormone deficiency is a syndrome that is defined by Many issues, metabolic syndrome is, is not a bad mimic of it, by the way. Weight issues, you know, visceral body fat, energy, some of it is objective, some of it is subjective, and IGF levels that are low. You can define it like anything else. This is, by the way, not a laboratory definition. If we go back and read Williams Endocrinology, which I've done many times, uh, because we use growth hormone, we use it for adult deficiency. It's a small percentage of our population. When we look at adult growth hormone deficiency, it is a clinical diagnosis. They frequently, and most of our patients who have it, have low thyroid hormone, have low testosterone. 
we can't look at hormone deficiency as an isolated phenomenon. In fact, you know, most endocrinologists think thyroid disease is a disease of the thyroid, but it actually involves sexuality. It involves all the other endocrine glands as well. By the way, low thyroid levels can produce hypogonadism. Nobody knows that except if you read the literature, it's pretty clear. Bergman, who's the chief endocrinologist at Hopkins, made the statement quite correctly that you can never look at cholesterol and never even consider a statin drug until you've optimized, okay, T3 levels being in the upper quarter, T3, because T3 has a major effect on cholesterol. So people are using statin drugs for cholesterol issues, which are really thyroid-related issues. By not evaluating the endocrine system and understanding how critical it is to our overall health, we are treating patients with Band-Aid therapies that are not indicated, that are not necessary, and have their own negative consequences. Well, I think most physicians check thyroid function before starting statins. Dr. Pickard, I can tell you they don't. Okay. I want to thank Dr. Alan Mintz, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing Senegenics Health Institute. Dr. Mintz is the CEO and founder. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.